You're listening to Feral Attraction, hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. On this week's show, we open with a discussion on Vero's appearance on the Savage Lovecast. Our main topic is on mersuits. We talk about the practicality and acceptability of mersuits in the fandom. We close out the show with two questions, one on dating and mental disorders, the other on family destroying your relationships. Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. So, Vero, a few weeks ago, we've been talking about this on the show. Um, we're finally getting to it. I know I'm so sorry for basically muzzling you on this, but we finally are able to do this. Um, you were on the Savage Lovecast a few weeks ago. I was, and we kind of been planning to include the, the audio from that as we've been graciously granted the, the ability to do by uh, uh, the Lovecast producer, Nancy. Um, but unfortunately, we just had a lot on our plates and editing everything together just didn't work out for us because it's summer is a busy time of year for everybody. So sorry for the delay, but we're finally going to bring you that audio today to follow this little brief introduction. And you'll yeah. hear kind of the, what the quest it's basically it's one question and an answer from me and a little bit of back and forth uh, banter with me and Dan, uh, which was fun. Um, and you, the question kind of touches on a topic of basically a furry discordant couple uh, where one of them is furry and the other one is uh, mundane or non-furry, right? And the questioner is basically saying, hey, uh, the questioner is actually the mundane saying, hey, my boyfriend's a furry. I don't know what to do with this. They seem to be in this really beast- weird bestiality porn stuff. What do I do? It's, it's, weird, it's, weird, it's weirding me out and it seems they need this stuff to get off. And how, how do I make my sex life work with this going on is basically the TLDR of the question. And then the answer, kind of the my one of the takeaway that I'd like to give everybody from what I said, and I'll repeat it here before we go into it, just so you know what we're talking about, is essentially that it's very easy to confuse, in the fandom anyway, if you're not used to seeing furry porn, it's very easy to confuse furry porn for quote-unquote bestiality porn. And that was something that Dan and I discussed, is that this might actually be a case of mistaken identity, where this questioner is mistaking furry porn for bestiality porn because if the person is just into furry porn it's a different answer than if the person is into bestiality porn which is obviously a bit more problematic because i mean if people are animals are being harmed in any of that pornography or anything you know that's obviously a legal issue i mean there's a lot going on there that's problematic so you know we kind of address that from both sides but that's kind of the the what the, the what was going on and then kind of my takeaway was you know try to incorporate beast aspects sexual aspects into the bedroom maybe buy a bad dragon toy and incorporate that into the bedroom maybe that's the compromise you and your partner can make here and if that squicks you out if the idea of incorporating any kind of animal sexual traits in the bedroom squicks you out you guys might not be a match and it might be time to dtmfa or dump the motherfucker already as dan savage would say so we kind of addressed it from that angle um because some, you know, there, this might be a bridge too far. Some people just can't handle the fact that some people eroticize animal traits, and some people, obviously, most furries can handle that because it's, I mean, it's why we like furry porn. So, um, we kind of come down to a: is this a, a a price of admission you can pay type thing, or is this not a price of admission you are willing to pay? And we're borrowing all the Dan Savagisms because I mean, hell, I was on a show, so I feel like I'm allowed to do that right now. Um, but yeah, so that was <laughs> that was a good time. Uh, I always love talking to Dan. Hopefully, 
Unfortunately, we were supposed to actually have Metrico on the show with us as well, but technical difficulties prevented Metrico uh, from joining us. So we all would like to thank Metrico for bowing out just so they could talk to the one of us who was more, more local and therefore had less latency on Skype, and that was me. <laughs> so they picked, I think that's how they, did, how they chose me, not because they like me more. It's because I have lower latency on Skype because I'm also based in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, so um, anyhow, uh, go ahead and uh, we'll play the audio, and I hope everybody enjoys. And if you have questions or feedback on our appearance, feel free to let us know. Hi, Dan. I've been dating this guy. Uh, we met at work. The problem I'm having is he is uh, he's a furry. I didn't know what that was um, until I had looked it up. And um, I don't really have a problem with it. Uh, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is that he's really into furry porn. Um, he's addicted to it. Uh, but not just that, he's into bestiality porn a lot. And I discovered it through uh, asking him, um, I really wanted to look at his, uh, what the kind of porn that was getting him off so much. And the problem is it's really impacting our, uh, sex life a lot. And, um, he has all these complicated, uh, anxiety issues when we're, when we're intimate and, um, everything about our relationship is wonderful. We're very compatible. Um, we we're into the same things. Everything is great. Um, we love each other very deeply and it's, a, it's been very, very hard. We've been having this really hard time lately and we've figured out that everything goes downhill when we have sex and the problem is if we don't come at the same time and with me doing all the work because he's, he's a bottom and the time between him coming and me either jerking myself off and and me coming the, his anxiety levels just go through the roof and it creates all these doubts and it's his doubts are is he only attracted to animals is he only attracted to furry porn. Sometimes he can't get boners unless he's uh, looking at the furry porn or looking at his bestiality porn. Now, the, the, the bestiality thing is a whole other thing. That's something I choose to just ignore. But I don't even know how to approach this. Like, do I'm afraid to even go to like a psychologist about it or um, a psychiatrist or is there, are there drugs? <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to do. Um, I cannot talk to family about this. I don't think anybody would understand. When people ask about it, what's going on, they know that we have like a problem or something's going on. I just sort of say trust that we're working on it and that he has like anxiety problems. I don't know that there is a solution other than just moving on, um, but I really don't want to do that. Joining me by phone to help tackle this one, Vero. He is the co-host of the Furry Relationship Advice podcast, Feral Attraction. Hey, Vero. Hey. How are you? I'm doing well. I feel like we should make a little courteous and polite small talk before we dive into this question. <laughs> That's fair. So uh, what'd you have for breakfast? How was it? How's your day? I'm a soilent person. I, I drank some coffee this morning, so I'm both caffeinated and well uh, nutrified, I suppose. All right. Well, that's enough small talk. Here we go. <laughs> I, I'm sure this topic is going to make some people in the furry community uncomfortable because uh, whenever anyone sort of invokes the specter of bestiality in relationship to furrydom, a lot of people get upset and say there is no overlap. But certainly in it would seem in this, the case of this guy's furry identified boyfriend, there is some overlap there. Yeah. So this is a. I mean, this is I'm going to get in a lot of trouble if I don't tread very carefully with this question, I think. But I'm just going to try to decatastrophize a little bit. I think the caller might be creating a bit of a problem where none needs to exist. I think what's happening here, and I think you know, it's certainly justified to think in this kind of a way, but the caller sounds really kind of deeply squicked by what is turning his partner on, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think he's kind of problematizing the fact that his partner even has these desires. But I think it's really important to remember 
that desire itself is harmless, right? And we kind of can choose how to channel that and how to respond to it. And we don't really want to punish your your you know your boyfriend for having thought crimes where you know wanting to you know wanting to have to, to enjoy you know animal traits or animal qualities without necessarily enjoying animals, right? So you can really be turned on by the animal qualities mm-hmm. and maybe be turned on by the, that in pornography, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going out to you know your nearest farm and and you know running in the fields, right? Like that that's kind of another level. It's kind of you know, the same way we talk about. With you know, with pedophiles, sometimes that you know, we don't want to punish thought crimes. We don't want to pun- we want to punish offending pedophiles. We don't want to punish the you know the thought of of being turned on by by those qualities. So right, there's a difference between a pedophile right. and a child molester or a child rapist. Exactly. So I think one thing is you know you're talking about your partner having all this this you know really anxiety about sex with you, and I think part of that's actually coming from you kind of heaping on shame. It sounds like he actually has a lot of internalized shame that is causing uh, problems in the relationship right now. And you're actually kind of piling onto that by making him feel like his desires are so, are so, you know, by your discomfort is probably, you know, reflecting in him pretty, pretty easily. It's a high bar to say that to, you know, to put your partner at ease, you need to become comfortable with bestiality, uh, right, the porn absolutely. or the practice. And so, you know, it seems a legitimate, sensible, considerate workaround just to blot that out, to yeah, not absolutely. address or see that or, or you know, wish it away. Uh, but, but, but I think you hit on something there where the, the, the partner, the furry partner is struggling with some shame that's maybe exacerbated by his partner's discomfort because when he describes their sex and it seems like there's a lot of problems with their sex, the, the caller kept emphasizing how he has to do all the work and seemed like was a little resentful about that as I think he would have a right to be if indeed he's having to do all the work. But it seems like when, you know, when they're having sex and the furry boyfriend comes first furry boyfriend is then sort of seized by these anxieties. And I just wonder if the furry boyfriend at that moment, because he's not comfortable with his own desires and his own sexual interests, is just having that kind of post-orgasmic self-loathing regret that some people have, that some, you know, very kinky people have who have not fully accepted their kinks. You know, they're, they're turned on, they're turned on, they're turned on, they come, and then, boom, they feel really uncomfortable with the things that turn them on. They, they're, they're washed over with self-loathing. Right. Absolutely. And my, my feeling is just that, you know, be careful not to heap additional shame onto your partner during those moments. Or you're going to create kind of a feedback loop of your partner associating that shame now with you. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be that's, it's going to be kind of hard for them to become turned on in your presence if they start, you know, really associating that shame with you and not just with their kink. Right. But if the, but if the partner's having this problem, then the partner is not in what I would call good working order erotically or sexually. And it's not about getting them to a couple's counselor to process this. It's about getting the partner to take responsibility for and own it and maybe get himself to a counselor or therapist that he can open up with about this, a sex positive counselor or therapist who doesn't smile on bestiality, which is rightly in many places a crime, but can help him process and understand his kinks and turn ons. Yeah, in no way do I condone bestiality, but I think it's just important not to shame the desire for that, maybe to incorporate some of it in role play if it's something you can get yourself comfortable with in that sense. And then, you know, your partner is maybe in being indulged in a way that is safe, sane, and consensual without worrying about it becoming, you know, actual offending bestiality, right? Because that's right. not something anybody's going to be down with. But there are a lot of issues at play here that, you know, we could take the bestiality sort of 
red flag uh, out of it. You know. Yeah, the boyfriend's got a lot of internalized shame issues that I think are, are getting in the way of any relationship being healthy, right? And that's going to be something to process before this can get back on its feet. And, and a porn addiction problem, if he can only get turned on looking at this particular kind of porn, uh, the furry porn or the bestiality porn, if his focus isn't on the intimacy with his partner, if he's just laying there you know, while his partner, quote unquote, does all the work, you know, and he's staring at his phone or staring at a laptop computer open next to him on the bed and consuming porn and not really present. There's a lot else at, at play here. That, well, that- I'm just, you know, Dan, I'm going to push back on that as a quirky millennial for just a minute. Cause I <laughs> actually know a lot of my furry friends who actually have relationships that are very much built on the intimacy coming from a role play. And then they basically just roll over and have sex when they're at, basically at the, the moment of orgasm. And the sex is really secondary to the fantasy of their relationship. So I know it sounds kind of weird, but sometimes people really do just enjoy engaging with each other as a fantasy character. And then the sex is actually kind of secondary. So, you know, I think it might be a bit of a mismatch here. Like we talk about polyamory monogamous mismatch. So this might be kind of a bit of a furry, you know, kind of mundane mismatch, which could also be a little bit of an issue here. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's why I think a lot of people in the furry community tend to date within the community because when you're kind of this fantasy oriented and what arouses you, it can be kind of difficult to kind of just enjoy vanilla sex. And I think that's part of the issue here as well. So this would come to recognizing a case of sexual incompatibility and right. despite yeah. everything else that works, you know, this is what, uh, you know, we often get this at the podcast and probably you get it at your own sex and relationship advice podcast too. Everything's great. I love him. We get along. We share so many common interests. It's all good. It's all wonderful. But the, the sex, sex doesn't work. Exactly. The sex doesn't work. And you know what? Yeah. If the sex doesn't work in a sexually exclusive or even in a, you know, sex is important to the relationship relationship, that's a reason enough to, to, to end it if, if the sex doesn't work and it's and frustration and resentment will grow over time and it's going to end the relationship anyway. And if you kick that can down the road and you allow the sexual incompatibility or disconnect to eat at the relationship, then you're not going to be able to salvage a friendship out of it when you ultimately inevitably part because the sex doesn't work. You know, Dan, I can also say you can try, you know, pegging your boyfriend with a knotted cock. If you haven't heard of Bad Dragon, you can check out baddragon.com and they can help you out with that. So maybe maybe bringing that fantasy into into reality can can be a little bit more fun. Uh, that there are a lot of people who really do enjoy kind of the this the sexual aspect of animals in the form of role play and, you know, using toys and maybe a toy would be enough to make this work. You know, maybe you can help your partner just play with a toy and that can actually enough to excite both of you you know but if it's a libido killer for the non-furry partner any sort of uh furrydom or any sort of hint at or reference to erotically the animal kingdom then you just have to recognize that you're not a match absolutely then you're you're at a dtmfa through no fault of your own that's just a no fault divorce right that's just well you know that's just incompatibility one more complication I want to introduce is I've had some people point out to me what they described as uh, bestiality porn and it was really anthropomorphic furry pornography that they were kind of drawings of fox people or lion people with human genitalia and and human characteristics uh, having sex and i've had people look at that and say oh my god this is bestiality porn it's like no that's something different as a member of the furry community how would you describe that porn and how is that kind of porn different from bestiality if indeed that's the case here so one thing is keep in mind it's just a drawing for one thing so obviously no one's being harmed by a drawing but another thing it's just People, again, are people eroticize the characteristics of animals because they're hot. I mean, Egyptians built gods around animals because they found them to be powerful and to be a source of, of power. And some people want to eroticize that. And so they 
give human characters, anthropomorphic characters, these animal traits, and people find it hot. So mm. you can, find, you know, and so that's just something that people want to enjoy in art. And so, I mean, that's obviously not harming anyone. And it's no animals were harmed in the making of that, you know, someone's fantasy idea come into a, a piece of paper, right? And we want, and we want that distinction to be clear that the bestiality pornography is not the same thing as anthropomorphic furry porn, which is almost right. always drawings. Uh, and animation, but isn't the same thing. That those are distinct categories. And it is a thriving uh, kind of cottage industry in the furry community to draw this, this stuff. Yeah, that's it's a booming industry. But yeah, it's, no one's being harmed by it. Before we let you go, quickly, where can people find your podcast and what are they going to hear when they come over to Feral Attraction to hear your sex and relationship advice with your co-host, Matrico? Yeah, so uh, we're at feralattraction.com, and uh, we do a weekly advice column and also a podcast. Uh, we kind of do a, a topic-based show where we discuss like a mindfulness topic or a kind of stoicism-based approach to relationships, non-traditional relationships, uh, DS relationships, polyamory, open relationships from a furry perspective. And we kind of primarily service the furry fandom, but we welcome questions and comments from everybody. So check us out at feralattraction.com. Hey, Viro, thank you for coming on the show. All right. Well, hopefully everybody enjoyed the audio from the Savage Lovecast. Again, we would like to thank Nancy Hartunian for inviting us and, of course, Dan Savage and the rest of the Savage Lovecast crew for continuing to host us and our furry bullshit. Um, Hope to hear from you soon. (laughs) Indeed. But this week, you know, kind of bridging out of the main, you know, the, the, the head of the show, one of the questions that we get a lot is on mersuiting um indeed whether it exists whether it's a thing furries actually mm-hmm. do um you know is it a mythical beast Did, you know how many furries practice it and you know a lot of times in a lot of podcasts and a lot of places will sweep mersuiting under the rug um that might be the wrong metaphor to use right uh, now actually <laughs> come to think of it yeah hmm <laughs> I'm not calling anyone's first at a rug or I'm, I'm not, I'm not mercy shaming anyone. So I think just to get the elephant in the room out of the way, I'll, I'll let everyone in on a very little secret. I'm a mersuiter. I have a mersuit. So there you go. It's something that I don't necessarily do often, but just because it's a thing in the fandom and I wanted to try it, I do at least have a suit that I have done it in because I'm a bit of a sp- an experimentalist and I like trying things. So though it's not my favorite sexual activity, it is something that I'm, that I have experience with. And so I'm talking from a place of experience and not from a theoretical knowledge base. So that's kind of the, where I'm coming from. I don't think Metro has quite as much direct experience with mercy. Is that right? Um, not with wearing one. No. Um, that's fair. It's, but being, but maybe being around or in the carnal pleasure of Mersuiter involved in some I've way. I've had a lot of friends that have had mersuits, Um, and they tend to ask me more of the, practical applications perhaps uh as well as hey i have a weird stain hey i have a weird tear because with my background with drag with prodom with basically i mean why call it anything other than costumed sex uh i have a little bit more experience when it comes to the practical maintenance and how to be mindful of wear and tear especially which is fitting for a mersuit and how to avoid wearing and tearing. So that's kind of where my experience comes in. And, you know, I want to 
before we even get started, I, I do want to kind of say that it isn't just the questions that we get aren't just on whether this mythical unicorn exists within the fandom from mundanes or from new people to the fandom. A lot of people also want to know, is it acceptable? Is this something that is safe to expose to the public? Can you wear a MERS suit outside of a bedroom? Is this something that should be hidden? Why should people not wear MERS suits if they can't wear leather harnesses? At what point does fetish gear become too fetishy for public exposure? And... Yeah, it's very controversial. We've addressed it briefly yeah. in the past about even the issue of, you know, is underwear wearing fursuits? Is that what's what are, what are the what's the etiquette on that? That's a topic we addressed on a previous mm-hmm. show, yeah. right? So so all this stuff's gonna come up today. We're gonna talk about it from a variety of angles. And again, this is gonna be a more in-depth show just because it's something that I've got direct experience with, and also because we've gotten a ton of questions from a variety of angles on this topic too. It's a topic we pr- frankly probably should have done sooner, but I think we wanted to have a little bit more uh, cultural cachet maybe before t- touching on this topic, just because it's kind of an explosively controversial one. And we kind of didn't want to face the heat of addressing this topic until we were a bit more established, I think. So we kind of saved it for a while. Yeah. That's a little bit behind the curtains on that one. If you guys must know, because a lot of people are like, why haven't you done this yet? And well, there's a reason. So there you go. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> the, the, the primary thing is how's a suit difference from a fursuit. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, pretty easy question right i mean i think and that the, the where i draw the line on that is in one of two ways and i think people do differ so we always talk about what does that mean for you some people will define a mer suit as a mer suit is a suit that has been modified and we're talking about modification we're talking about sphs now metrico what is sph a silly abbreviation to hide strategically what are we talking about whole. Strategically placed hole. So people, this is very important. People will tend to place a strategically placed hole in their fursuit in one of two strategic locales, one directly behind the tail hole and one directly in front of the penis, assuming they are a male fursuiter. Now, you might hear SPH also mentioned with uh, plushes uh, for people that are into plushophilia. Um, SPH really is just a hole that is used and strategic for places sexual purposes. for sexual yeah. purposes. Now, we do have a couple of points to yeah. make here. So not everybody who has an SPH in the front actually uses it for sex. A lot of people, myself included, this is, you know, I say I'm immersed in Well, most of my immersed sitting is really just using that hole to pee. So I do have a hole in the front of my suit, but it's not only in the front for two reasons. Number one, I'm a top. And number two, I mostly use it to pee. So that's, but the thing is a lot of people just use it to pee. So don't think, oh, he's got a hole in the front of his suit. He must fucking that. It's very possible. He just doesn't want to take his entire freaking fursuit off to go number one, right? Because like, that's a pain in the ass. A lot of people will just actually have that just so they can take their paw off, quick unzip, piss, get back in the suit, get back out wherever they're doing, right? Because nobody wants to fully undress to just to take a whiz. So that's actually why a lot of people have SPHs, or, or if they have front zipping suits, you might confuse that for an SPH as well. But the reason they do that is because they want to be able to take a leak easily. So don't judge everybody. If you are the type of judgmental person who judges MERS suits, don't assume somebody's a MERS suit just because they have a hole there. Um, if they have a hole in the back, I, I mean, I, maybe some people are, are, maybe that's for bathroom purposes, but I kind of hope not. I really, really hope not, honestly. Mm-hmm. If, if it is, I'm not going to shame you for that. But I don't want to. Yeah, I'm not going to think about that one too hard. Okay, so um, 
So that's one way of looking at it. Now, another way of looking at it is a immersive is a suit that is used for sexual purposes. So maybe that means you're dry humping in suit or you're letting somebody naked cuddle you while you're in suit or you are letting somebody fuck your fursuit's muzzle. Those would be examples of using a suit that maybe doesn't even have an SPH, but you're using it in a sexual context. So some people would then say that that makes that suit immersive because it's being used sexually. So some people will define immersive as a suit that is modded, and some people will define a suit immersive as a suit that is used for sexual purposes. I think for the sake of clarity going forward, we're going to be talking about immersive being defined as a fursuit that is used for sexual purposes and a modded suit as being a suit, a fursuit that has an SPH or multiple SPHs. And that then makes it so that a suit can be a modded suit and not be a suit, but one can also be both, right? One can be a suit and a modded yeah. suit, or one can be a suit and not modded, right? So those categories kind of, that covers everything. Yeah. I think that's the easy way to talk about it. So that's what we're talking about. So when you say suit, that's what we mean when mm-hmm. we're saying suit. By this definition, you know, partial, a partial first, if you're just wearing a partial, a partial would be a, you can't really mod a partial, right? Because there's no, I mean, that's... Yeah, there's no core naked, to it. You just have like... Right, exactly, yeah. So, so in that case, a partial fursuit is immersive if it's just used for sex. That makes a partial immersive. Yeah. There yeah, you go. It's like a Venn diagram. It's, I mean, if we want to get all <laughs> yeah, the exactly. on it, like, you know, it's it's not all modded suits are suits and not all suits are modded suits. But there is definite overlap between the two. And it's important to kind of not judge one or the other as being, well, you use that for sex because, again... I mean, coming from a drag perspective, if we had SPHs, that would be the greatest thing ever. But I got to tuck my dick <laughs> and like my balls are like up in my Adam's apple. And it's like, whoa, if I could, if I had the ability to have an SPH instead of like having to like get some duct tape off and then like five pairs of tights and then that dancers. Uh, ugh. So, yeah, it's it's don't automatically assume. And this is the first thing you know, I want to reiterate. If you see a zipper, don't automatically assume that that person has sex in their suit because a lot of people actually don't. A lot of people have that, again, for ease of access because getting in and out of suit is a process and it is often a two-person job. So it can be a lot easier for somebody not to have a crew follow them into the bathroom so they can like get undressed and then get back into suit. So, you know. Give everybody a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, especially if you're coming from a place of judgment. Just because you see something doesn't mean that something actually exists. And I find that a lot of people tend to over-exaggerate the amount of people that are having sex in, in either full suit or partial because they see, oh, well, that person's wearing shorts. Or, oh, I saw a zipper if I squinted my right. eyes and Absolutely. took a magnifying glass to their dick. Like, yeah. Yeah. So... Be a little bit more generous with your judgment, and also maybe you shouldn't come from a place of judgment because everybody enjoys the fandom in a different fashion. Um, this is very true, and I think you know one thing. This is kind of going to transition us now to talking about our how to immerse suit responsibly section, which I think is an important topic. So I think what it really boils down to is don't squick the mundanes, right? Because I think furries overall are pretty tolerant of the idea that immerse suits are a thing. That mer suits, you know, people do use their suits sexually in certain contexts, you know, all of those things, right? I don't think anybody is surprised or shocked by that within the fandom. But we have to be mindful and conscious of the, mostly the people without, and from, from, without who aren't in the fandom, and also those of us who are in the fandom and who have small kids, because some of us, 
especially at, at larger conventions like AnthroCon or RMFF, um, will bring children to their to the conventions, especially during daytime when, when children are up and about. It's really important to keep sex where it belongs, and that's away from kids, right? So, yes, make sure you're not mixing things that don't make belong, don't mix. And what I mean by that is not don't hug a child in your clean suit, right? Like if your suit is perfectly clean and washed and you're hugging some kid, that's not what I mean by keep keep sex away from that from a kid. What I mean is, you know, if you're wearing your fursuit and it's, it has an SPH in the front and you're wearing underwear and you've pulled your cock and your balls through the SPH so that they're hanging out in your underwear and you're walking around a convention in the middle of the day, this is something, by the way, that I'm not talking hypothetically, it's something that I've observed at Anthrocon that is extremely inappropriate and that I have a major problem with because there are kids there. They shouldn't be looking at your junk. And that's not, I mean, and that's just like, I'm a sex positive person, but like that's crossing a line, right? So that's, that's something you need to be mindful of where that line is and where that norm is not okay to cross because, you know, I think it's important to be sex positive. And I, I don't have any problem with wearing that kind of stuff after hours at a convention, but at, during the hours when there's still potentially minors present, you need to be mindful of the fact that it's inappropriate to be dressing like that in public, right? At least in within the culture and the of where Anthrocon is held, which is Pittsburgh, right? You need to be aware of the local culture. And in that local culture, that's not an appropriate activity. So, you know, we, we as a fandom need to be respectful of local norms when there are people who expect us to be mindful of local norms around, such as children, such as people who might be staying in the hotel for other reasons, like members of uh, airline crew, which are often frequent co-guests with uh, FurCons because FurCons tend to be located at airline, airport hotels for uh, price reasons, right? So we often, you know, we don't be mindful not to squick people, not to give them a bad first taste or a bad first impression of the fandom. Because yes, as much as it sucks, you know, sometimes to think about, we are individually ambassadors for the fandom and we are at fur conventions, especially when there are other people around. So, you know, you, you might not want to be representing the rest of the fandom, but the, that the fact remains that you kind of are, right? So you need to be mindful of that. You know, it's important um, to kind of keep yeah, in mind ahead, the idea that there there is a time and a place and an occasion for everything. If you're in the fursuit parade, which is often very public, I mean, if you go to Anthrocon, it's something that is televised, media, uh, you know, cameras are out there. These are things that the public goes to. And this is, for a lot of people, their first sort of exposure, short of seeing random things here or there. Time, place, and occasion. If you want to have your dick out and, like, helicopter it as you walk in a parade, you're doing it wrong. If you, again, we're not here to shame people that want to mercy, that want to engage in that sort of play, but you have to make sure that the time, the place, and the occasion are appropriate for the activity that you want to engage in. Absolutely. When it comes to even even just let's say that you're at a con and it's you know a fairly closed con, you still want to make sure that if you have any kind of an SBH, it is covered when you're on public. I know that a lot of people don't use the zips; they some people just have holes. Where's something that's appropriate? Where's something that is going to continue to cover whatever you have going on down there? For some people, they choose underwear. That sometimes is good, and I have no problem with that. But some cons say, nah, you can't do that because it's a little bit too sexy sexy for us. Make sure that you have multiple options. Don't go to a con with just a pair of Andrew Christians expecting that to be okay. Plan ahead. 
Get some board shorts, get some swim shorts, get something that's going to be loose and easy to put on, and it isn't going to cause abrasion or damage the actual fur on the fursuit itself. So plan ahead with these sorts of things. If Again, if you're planning on going out into con space with just a fursuit and a jock strap, don't be surprised if they tell you, actually, no, you got to go back upstairs. I personally, I have no problem with that. Wear whatever you would like, but especially for conventions that have more of a focus on public outreach and invite members of the press to circulate to take pictures, that sort of thing. Be mindful of con policies. That's something that I always advise anybody, regardless of if you have an SPH, whether you have a modded suit, whether you engage in burst suiting, be aware of what the con rules are concerning suiting and appropriate attire. Because the last thing you want to happen is to be basically covered up in a bedsheet and shuffled out of con space in front of everybody. Yeah, that's no fun. That's no fun for anyone. Uh, Unless you're really into that, then you're still not consensually involving someone in your kink, so we're still not going to go there, right, everyone? So just be mindful of that, yeah. Yeah, and the other thing is, like, not, not, (laughs) excuse me, not not involving people in your kink non-consensually also involves things like um, cleanliness, uh, sanitary considerations, and smell. So it's really important that you keep your suit that you're wearing in public spaces clean and smelling natural, uh, and neutral, rather. You know, you don't really want to be wearing a dirty suit into public space, especially one that smells, frankly, like you just fucked in it. That's not really appropriate to be doing, right? So you need to make sure that if you are using your suit sexually, that you're cleaning it every time if, before it's going back out in a public space, that there's no evidence of it being used sexually, that it's been sanitized, that it's been cleaned, that it's maybe been combed out, that you've, you know, used, you know, proper uh, cleaners with it, that it's, you know, not going to be of any kind of, uh, you know, offense to anyone who might be sensitive to the fact that, you know, something was just used sexually. It's the same idea that if I have sex in my clothes and I get cum on my clothes or I get some other bodily fluid on my clothing, I would be it'd be a faux pas for me to wear that shirt out in public, right? I would change my shirt. So, you know, or, or launder my shirt, right? So you need to make sure you're doing that before then going about, back about doing, you know, going about your business in that suit. Um, that's fine to do though. And I, I want to keep, make that point very clearly. It's totally fine to use your MERS suit like a normal fursuit, so long as you're keeping it clean when you're not fucking in it, right? So that's how I use my fursuit. I almost never have done sexual things in my suit, but it is not never, but, my suit is clean and I always keep it that way. And I would never in a million years dream of going, taking my suit out in public if it had anything on it. I've been fortunate in pretty much avoiding anything ever getting on my suit, which I've been very, try to do very consciously because I don't really intend it to be used sexually very often. But that being said, you want to make sure keeping it clean, smelling natural, never wear a dirty suit in a public space. We're just, which, you know, and frankly, that topic leads us very nat- naturally into our next main topic, which is care and maintenance of MERS suits. And this is also a topic that Metrico is pretty knowledgeable on simply because costume maintenance is one of his forts, right? Yeah, you could say that it's a forte of mine. It's um, Before I begin, would you say that you're anal retentive about your anal and fursuit? <laughs> uh, I, you could say that. I'm also anal retentive and fursuit because I do not have a back SPH. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, one thing that I do want to note um, about really any bodily fluid, any bodily discharge... Regardless of the type, there is going to be some kind of an odor for it. So even if you think it's small, it's minuscule, it's going to be covered up, you still want to be mindful of the fact that 
scent is also a kind of a portion to all of this. It's not just appearance, it's also smell. When you're in suit, you sweat, your fursuit itself gets hot, heat plus body fluid equals smell. And that's just a natural part of life. So even if it's just sweat, even if you you just have sweat, you sweat profusely like I do, you want to make sure that everything is nice and clean and you smell neutral or you smell not overly like Axe body spray or Febreze. You don't want to walk in smelling like a hookah lounge. Febreze is a good is a good choice though. If you are going to smell like something, yeah. one of the more neutrally scented Febreze is a great option, especially if your suit is just musky. Absolutely, right? Like from being sweaty, that's a great option. So one thing that you want to do because no two suits are alike. You want to ask your maker, or in certain cases, your modifier, what the tolerances are. You want to avoid wear and tear within your fur suits, especially if you're wearing it. So. One thing that I always recommend is if you are going to, if you get a fursuit, that's great. You want to ask your fursuit maker what the specifications are. Some fursuits are not meant to go outside. Some feet paws, for example, are meant for indoor use only. So you want to ask about that. You also want to ask how pliable is it? Is it a form-fitting suit? If so, should I be careful in bending over? Can I do somersaults in it? You want to ask about the gift that it has because one of the yeah one of the key questions too that is really the seam quality and whether those seams can survive being washed. Whether your suit is washable. Exactly. The washability of your suit is it's like the million dollar question, right? right. Can it go? Can it go in the washer? I'm lucky enough that my fruits you can just go straight in the washer if I want. And that's kind of cool. Because not everybody's first can do that, right? Yeah, not everyone can. Uh, it depends, again, on the type of seams that they use. Um, how they And the fur in some cases. Yep. Also the fur. Um, sometimes, because most, if not all, fursuits use um, specific types of synthetic furs. Um, you want to also make sure if you can be machine washed. Is the machine washed cold? Is the machine washed warm? Almost never. I've yet to encounter a fursuit that you can just kind of toss into the dryer um, just because it tends to shrink. And with fursuits that are fairly form-fitting, that have sections for specially crafted padding, especially if it's a digitigrade, um, you very rarely will be able to throw it into the dryer. So most of them are going to be hang-dried. But that's also a good question to ask. So with your maker, the questions you want to ask are going to be, how do I wash this? What chemicals can I use to wash this? And also, what are the actual physical limitations? How can I bend? How can I stretch? What should I avoid doing? How strong are the seams? That that sort of thing. Because just as much as you want to be active and be kind of wacky and zany, or maybe even sexy in your suit, you do kind of act as a personal ambassador for the fursuit maker themselves. You walk almost as a roaming fluffy billboard like hey that suit's cute who made it they have as much interest in making sure that your suit looks as presentable as much of the time as possible as you do for you it's a character for them it's a brand and they want to protect their brand by making it look nice and pretty so ask these questions i guarantee you they're not going to mind most fursuit makers have faqs that will answer some of these questions but I guarantee you, if you say, hey, I read the FAQ and I have specific questions, they're probably not going to be like, just read the FAQ, dummy. Here's your deposit back. God damn it. No, they're going to like that you take special care and attention. So 
When it comes to modifiers, though, not all fursuit makers will put in zips or SPHs because that's just not their brand. There are specific modifiers that are out there that will do that for you, and it is important to ask what the tolerances there are as well. So there are certain types of zips um, that are internal only, so you can't see like the little dangly metal bit on the outside of the suit. So you want to ask, how do I use that? How do I properly close this? Because with zippers, sometimes if you don't put the little clasp in a certain way, it will gradually begin to unzip. And I don't know if there's really anything embar more embarrassing for people to like look down and see that your zipper is undone. Now imagine that's in suit. Like... That can be a little rough, especially since sometimes suitors don't wear underwear under their suits, right? So then in that case, that's a very bad situation. Yep. So make sure that you understand like how your SPHs work. Uh, make sure that you understand um, how to use them. Because some people, you like to be rough. You like to be like aggressive. You may not be able to be aggressive with these sorts of things, especially if it's a zipper, because once a zipper breaks, it is very difficult and time-consuming, especially in a fursuit, to replace it. And most of the time, you'll have to send it back to the modder or to the maker in order to have it done at cost, plus shipping, and it's just a time-consuming thing. So you want to or you have to find somebody locally to do it, and then you have to deal with explaining what why what the fursuit, what a fursuit is, and that's yep. not fun at to explain to a seamstress generally, right? Yeah. So, so you know, yeah. just be careful with these sorts of things. Ask, you know, ask questions. Trust me, nothing is too embarrassing to ask ahead of time to somebody that is installing the thing for you. They have heard everything before. It's a, it's far more embarrassing to go to a seamstress and be like, "Yes, Miss Jody. So here's the thing, and here's what it's used." And you, <laughs> you can avoid all of that by asking questions to the people that are doing it for you. So knowing and understanding how your suit works, um, one thing that I will say if you're using a full suit for sex, um, one thing that you should consider doing is just kind of take it for a test drive before you kind of do anything. This can go a lot of, this is preventative care. If you get a fursuit that has SPHs and you want to engage in suiting, that's great. But maybe try it out before you, like, actually do it. Maybe sit at home and try different positions. See what works for you. See what's comfortable. See what's not comfortable. Because if you go 0 to 60, you're inevitably going to make mistakes and you're inevitably going to not do something properly. And you want to avoid as much disrepair and damage to your suit as possible. So, And on that note... I think one of the key things, mm -hmm. especially between sessions of wear, to keep in mind with care and maintenance is always, always, always allow your suit to get fully dry. Um, that's really the key thing between between wears. Um, because if you let your suit get fully dry, it's not really going to get super, super stanky or moldy or any of those types of things. You never want your fur to rot. Right. And that's it. That's a situation that can happen if you let, if you pack your suit up when it's still wet. So never, ever let that happen. Always fully, fully dry your suit before packing it up. Yeah. Second to that, uh, try to pack it up with uh, Febreze. Uh, you can use some Febreze, but also uh, dryer sheets uh, are good to toss them with your suit. That'll, that'll help keep your suit stay smelling fresh in between. Uh, and you can then, that'll keep it, you know, smelling fresh between more thorough washes if you haven't the chance to, say, fully launder your suit before wearing it again. 
at least packing it up that way with some dryer sheets after, you know, using some Febreze will keep it smelling pretty fresh in between wears, right? There are also like Arm & Hammer uh, baking soda tablets that are in plastic that you can put in your fridge that you can also put in your case. Um, most people will use like the hard uh, like packing cases for their fursuits. And you can put those in there and that's fine. It won't, as long as it's not loose baking powder or anything of that nature, you want to keep things that are dry and things that are not going to stain. Yeah, silica gel packets would mm-hmm. like you get with some electronics and things. I, I know some students also will toss a few of those into yeah. their, their bags. And that can also help, that little desiccants, that can help keep moisture out yeah. as well. It's not going to dry out a fursuit that's soap sopping wet, obviously. Yeah. But if it's just like, you know, humid, it'll help with some humidity. Yeah. So generally um, what I would recommend. All that stuff is good. Yeah. yeah. Generally what I would recommend for any kind of costuming, any kind of fake fur, really anything. Um, for my costumes and whatnot, I tend to keep, um, I use the gain, uh, dryer sheets because I really like that smell. Find a smell that you really like cause you're going to be smelling it a lot. And I have a, uh, Arm and Hammer, uh, pad that I keep in there just to, uh, lock out any nasty smelling smells because, Plastic, unfortunately, tends to have just a nasty after odor because of the chemicals used to make plastic. Um, so it keeps things from smelling too artificial. And uh, if it's something that's made out of a cloth material or even leather, a few packets of silica, um, they sell larger packs that you can purchase. Um, just toss them in there. It's going to help keep moisture out. It's going to help keep the good smells in. Um, and every now and then you'll want to wash the container that you keep your fursuit in, uh, the outside and the inside, and let that completely dry as well. The goal here is to keep things as dry as possible. So if you're using your fursuit, quote unquote, as intended, you're going to sweat and it's going to get wet. If you're using it for sex related purposes, chances are there are going to be some bodily fluids that get kind of attached to it. So make sure that you wash those out. It can be a little bit difficult, especially in hotels, especially at conventions to do fursuit washing. Um, You can use bathtubs a lot of the time uh, to soak. Make sure that you ask what kinds of soap you can use. Uh, You don't necessarily want to be lathering your suit in Dove or Axe body wash. You want to make sure that you use something that you're, fursuit maker says it's okay and uh the good thing about hotels you can typically hang dry your fursuit so that's kind of a nice thing that you can do there but with uh washing in bathtubs i would advise against being too aggressive like don't just like slosh your fursuit everywhere let it soak you know gently wash it and of course always ask your maker what the tolerance is for the washing yeah, in a pinch, and this is true with almost every fabric, it's one of the mild, most mild treatments you, you can do. And fortunately, it's something you can almost always find at a furcon and at a hotel, even down the hallway at a vending machine. White soda is actually a fantastic cleaner. Even if you, and if you can't find like pure white soda, like ginger ale or 7-Up even will do in a pinch. Um, uh, do, make, make, don't, do, don't get anything with it. it has sugar in it, though, because that'll keep make it sticky. But you want things that are just... You know that so actually diet will work better in that situation you don't want anything syrupy right but you want you can use white soda especially you know basically like club soda white soda um, seltzer water tonic 
Tonic water even will do in a pinch if you don't mind the smell. Um, any of these things are really great at getting because like the carbonation actually helps remove particles that are stuck to, to the fibers. And that carbonation will then, as long as it's not a staining uh, soda, will then help you lift out that um, the uh, the stain. So even like Perrier water, anything that's carbonated will actually do pretty well here. And then you, you can kind of rub at it with like a paper towel or a regular towel, kind of with a more of a pulling motion rather than rubbing it in. You kind of want to be grasping at the stain and kind of gently pulling on the fibers to kind of stroke out the stain. And then so kind of a pulling motion rather than a rubbing motion. That honestly will get out most stains pretty quickly, even those of the uh, Santorum variety, uh, which I think are more the most pressing concern. I was going to talk about that tip later on in like the actual fursuit sex uh, immersive sex tip section because it's more of an urgent uh, care type thing. But it's important to keep that in mind that uh, if you need to, you know, quickly clean up a stain before using your suit, um, that's a pretty good method that that at least get you both of the way there. And then you can clean it way more thoroughly when you've got time. That should at least get you to the point where your suit is, is mm-hmm. clean to the point of being usable, right? Yeah. So seltzer water, club soda, white soda, anything that's sugar-free or as sugar-free as possible and effervescent uh, carbonated, it's going to help lift stains out. So you, you water, plain old water will work in a pinch, but really the carbonated water is going to be something that really helps a lot more. Um, club soda is great for stains on really any kind of fabric from carpet to fursuit. So um, again, don't kind of let that be your permanent fix. If there is bodily fluid of any type, you're going to want to give your fursuit a full wash. But again, this is more of a hot fix, not a patch. So, you know, get some towels. You don't want to rub the stain in. You don't want to rub the bodily fluid in. You want to pull with it. You want to kind of try to get the stain out um, as opposed to spreading it around because then it can actually set in and be a little bit more difficult to get clean, especially on lighter colored fur or fabric. So, um, exactly. That's one of the pro tips of general costuming, especially for um, lighter colored fabrics, because other sorts of cleaners like bleach obviously will ruin it. Things like OxyClean sometimes can damage the fabric or the fur. So club soda works in a pinch. And then once you get home or to a place that you uh, can wash your fursuit in the proper way as specified by your fursuit maker, congratulations. You're able to kind of spread it out. Again, it's one thing that you want to let dry out completely before you wear it um, or store it. So you don't just club soda your fursuit and then throw it into a plastic container for storage because that will cause very bad things to happen. Um, what I generally recommend is club soda. You get the stain out and then you rinse it with uh, water um, just in case there is any sugar. That way the fur is less likely to mat or even rot. And then once you get home, the first thing you sh- generally should do is wash it. Um, one other thing to note, and I know it sounds kind of silly, but I guarantee you it's not. Um do not use a blow dryer on your fursuit. Um, do not use anything that is too high heat. Certain types of synthetic fur can melt and can clump up. Also, even if your suit avoids that, even if it's like, yeah, you can use like a blow dryer on your suit to like get things looking nice after a quick wash. Um, do not wear your suit and use a hair dryer on the suit. Um, that will be very painful for you. Um, 
I know it sounds kind of silly. Like, let's say that you got some water or some liquid on your arm and you want to get it dry. Um, don't, don't just whip out a hairdryer and just blow dry your arm. It, it burns. Um, I know it sounds like a quick fix. I know it sounds really convenient, but just trust me. It's going to burn a lot. I've been there. I've made that mistake. I've done every stupid thing you can. And that's one of the things that I wish that I didn't do. Um, if you need to use a blow dryer, a hair dryer, something that expels heat, don't wear the fabric, don't wear the clothing, and then do that. Take it off. I know it's a bit of a pain to get in and out of suit, but just take the extra time. Trust me, you will thank me for it. Um, but ultimately, as, as we've specified, you never really want to wear that dirty suit into public space, even if it is covered, even if you're wearing something over the top of it. If a suit is dirty, you don't want to wear it. I I, I have a friend who, for some reason, um, didn't do didn't wash clothes for two weeks, and he ran out of underwear, and which I find weird because I have more underwear than almost any other like article of clothing. Um, but he had fresh shirts and fresh shorts and things like that. But because he kept reusing his underwear, it smelled really rank. Like you could smell something coming from him and it was not attractive or appealing. Just because you cover something up doesn't make it go away. If you put shorts over an area that's been stained, that's dirty. Again, chances are you may not immediately smell about throughout the course of the day with movement with heat it's going to become an issue for people it's going to become a smelly issue you're going to be labeled a musky husky and you're going to be told to get out of suit um, a lot of conventions are very conscious about that sort of thing so make sure if it is dirty you clean it before you wear it and if you can't clean it at the convention my apologies but maybe you just wear the fursuit head it's going to be okay. People think fursuit heads are totally cool. So be responsible, especially if you're going to be mersuiting. Be responsible with the way that you take that into public. Um, I know that there are a lot of people that say that mersuits have no place in public spaces, but here's kind of my, my thought. And so there are a lot of like accounts, um, like there's a fursuit butt account and these are just the butts of fursuits. Like, they're not engaged in any kind of active sex play. It's just posing and, hey, look at my butt. Isn't it cute? For some people, that's enough to be sex play. That's enough to be kind of sexy. It's it's a fursuit pinup. Congratulations. It's sexy enough for me to beat my meat to. So I'm going to get off. And that, in my mind, would count as that being mersuiting because it's enough to make somebody engage in some form of sex play. The definition of what a mersuit is, is rather broad, and it shouldn't be up to you as an attendee, or even in some cases as a member of staff, to sort of go out of your way to classify something as being inappropriate, especially when it's something as benign as, hey, this suit might be modified, or hey, I might have engaged in sex in the suit, or been in a room where sex happened while I was in the suit. As long it's pretty. This is a pretty easy thing to to really to break down. I think honestly, and it, like if you are, it's uh-huh. like pants. You know, I think I think this is really a simple issue, and I, mm-hmm. it's like pants. Pants are modded, right. right? Pants have zippers. 
You can whip your dick out of a pa- right. pair of pants, right? You shouldn't whip your dick out of a pair of right. pants in public. But as long as you're not whipping your, your dick out and you don't have cum all over the zipper when you're zipping it back up, you can, you're allowed to wear pants out in public, mm-hmm. right? Even if you've done sexy time things in that pair of pants at one time, yeah. right? Fursuits are really just like pants. And I think they should be treated like pants. As long as the pants are clean, I don't really care where those pants have been. And that's the same the same. And that's my position as well. As long as you're not running around with your bits dangling out of your suit, and as long as it's not offensive in taste or covered in just bodily fluid and allowed to mat, and it just it looks like you just got out of a gangbang and it's it's kind of a disaster you know then it's fine it doesn't even have to be like a professionally made suit if you made your own suit and it maybe isn't the greatest looking quote unquote that's cool i love handmade homemade suits i think that those are really neat to look at because people often bring new and exciting creativity to the fandom through that fashion it doesn't need to be the prettiest looking. It just needs to be clean and it needs to be essentially presentable for children. Um, even if you freaking, I don't know, first who does the goddamn Babadook, I don't give a shit. Like, as long as you're not covered in cum stains and, like, if you turn around, I just don't see streaks of Santorum, you're fine in my book. If I can't smell you from across the room, hey, congratulations. Like, Welcome to the first Super Parade. I know that there are going to be some people that disagree, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, we shouldn't be shaming people for engaging in their type of fandom play as long as it has low to no impact to anybody else. And in cases... And also, I just want to jump in here real quick, uh-huh. Patrick, if you'll let me, about the you yeah. know, keeping the suits clean. And I want to say, we're not shaming people for if, you're, if you're into smelly suits, by the way. Yeah, we're no. not shaming you for being into that. Like, Like... For example, I'm really into musk myself. It's one of my like smells and, and is one of my in the way things smells is like a huge kink for me. So like there's nothing wrong intrinsically with like, oh man, if your suit's musky, I'm like really turned on by that. But like there is something to be said for don't walk into a crowded elevator with your musky fursuit, because then maybe three of the people there are, are really turned on, but the other twenty people there are like, Oh my god, this guy smells like he just got done with sex. I'm gonna die, right? Like so you have to be mindful that some people might be really turned on by the way you smell, but that doesn't mean you get to inflict that on everybody who isn't, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of that's kind of where yeah. it breaks down. You know, keep it yeah, consensual. Just, it, that that's really the crux of it. You know, keep your play consensual. If you're into being a musky husky, that's great, but not everybody is, so you can't really engage them or force them to engage in your play. One thing that. Um, you know, kind of enclose, you know, in terms of like the care and maintenance, you know, it's you want to be the way that I look at fursuiting is you want to let the suit speak for itself. You don't necessarily need to add your own smell to it, add your own stains to it. Some people will wear cute clothing and cute costuming. Um, I know my friend Metric will craft these elaborate outfits you know, showing up as like a maid or a witch or, you know, at special occasions. Um, I think one, he was like a tiki themed fox. And I mean, it looks adorable. It looks cute. Dress up your fursuit, dress up your moose suit, dress up however you want. But you shouldn't allow your bodily fluids, your smell to speak for the suit itself. 
you know, try to keep it as neutral as possible when it comes to that regard. You want everybody to encounter that encounters you to have a pleasant experience, regardless if it's mundane, regardless of if it's sexual. And when you start ruining that experience for other people, that's when you get a bad reputation. And that's when this sort of suit, um, modified suits, spur suits, start to get a really bad rap. So it's important to take care of yourself because when you are a moose suitor, not only are you a representative of the fandom, you're also kind of a representative of the kinky side of the fandom. Welcome. So you want to do your best to be a good ambassador. And not everybody is going to have a pleasant experience. Some people are just predispossessed to have a negative outlook. And that's fine. Who cares about what they think? But you should do your best to be as pleasant as possible in all of these circumstances. And the best way you can do that, keep it clean, keep it safe, keep you know consensual. And if you're in public... Keep it in your pants. Pretty much. Or in your suit, at least. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't actually have to wear pants. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, one of the things is, you know, a lot of these suits, you know, they have to be specially designed or crafted to have the the modifications put in play. A lot of fur suit makers, they're not going to, as I said earlier, they're not going to include them. Or if they do include them, they uh, they come at an additional cost. So it's important if you're getting a suit commissioned to ask the first suit maker whether they can include that for you at cost or for an additional fee. The other thing is if you're actually at the initial design stage of your first suit, I strongly recommend getting a first suit that has, uh, there's basically two major styles of first suit. One of them is the front zip style. Another one is the back zip style. There may be a few side zip first suits as well. And for the most part, you have front zip and back zip. The thing you want to avoid with a MERS suit is you don't want to get a back zip MERS suit. And the reason for that is back zip suits are impossible to get into by yourself. You need someone to be there to zip up the back or you can't get into suit. And you might think, oh, that's no problem. I have a handler. Well, here's the situation, right? You find a really hot guy that you want to bang at a con and you're in your MERS suit and you want to bang this guy, but you're not actually in your MERS suit yet. You need to go get into suit. So you take this guy back to your room say, hey, hang on a second. I'm going to get in suit. You wait here. Here's the problem. You now need your crush's help to get into your suit. So rather than having a really hot reveal where you like walk back out with your like rock hard stiff cock poking out of your SPH and like you're ready to bang. Now instead it's like, hey, can you actually uh, come over here and like help me zip up? And like maybe for some people that's an erotic experience. But for a lot of people, it's kind of a, like it's almost as mood killing as like having to go get the condom and, and like break the wrapper, put the condom on like. All that fiddly business in between, like the the reveal and the sex, can actually like break the the spell for some people. So you don't necessarily want to have that experience and to require a handler for getting into your suit. So for that reason, I would strongly recommend getting a front zip or maybe even a side zip suit, simply because that then allows you to um, get in suit so much easier. My strong recommendation would actually be to go with a full front zip right down the, the chest, and that one is the best design in my opinion. It's how my suit's designed. Because then you can actually have a little break in the zipper and you can have a continuation of the exact same zipper line that it ends up being the front SPH. And it's really easy to conceal and make look like part of the main design of the suit. So it doesn't look like you have anything extra going on. It just looks like your suit has you know, maybe an extra long zipper. And then you don't, realize, you don't realize that there's actually a break in the zipper and that you can unzip the bottom portion of the zipper by itself. And that's then what allows the SPH to exist in a very subtle, 
and uh, understated way, which is how I want my suit to be, because frankly, I'm using it for sex 0.001% of the time I'm wearing my suit. So there you go. Um, yeah, so it's like the back zip thing, it's hard to get in and out of, and it just, it's like, it's cool, and it may, maybe looks better in certain circumstances, but like, it's not nearly as practical. And if you're going for a suit you're using during sex, practicality actually becomes a major consideration. Would you agree that that's kind of true of costuming in general, uh, Metrico? Yeah, it's, I mean, there, the thing is, is that like back zips, um, tend to require somebody there to help you. It's it's there are certain tools that you can get that help with um zipping up the back of outfits. Um but I would not recommend using those with fursuits. Um there are like some zip clasp extensions that you can get that clip onto it. So you put it on before you get into the outfit and then when you get in you can just grab it and pull up the thing is is that with fursuits you have to understand that there is the additional element of there being fur so if you have something that is out of your vision fur easily gets caught into zips it gets caught into the teeth and you can damage your suit without seeing it so in general if you have a back uh if you have a back close if you have a back zip um you're generally just for your own safety and for the health of the suit, you're going to want to have somebody there to zip it for you with it being in the front. It's a little bit easier. You're not doing all sorts of contortiony movements and you can also have better vision of what's happening. So in general, um, if you can get a front zip or in some cases, there are some side zips that I've seen that go around the front of the arm and then down the side those are much rarer to see because it can sometimes those are more delicate suits because of the way that the seam work has to be done. Um, so go with something in the front, go with something that is easier. It's uh, it, generally speaking, practicality in all things. And most of the time with, uh, with those front zips, the fur is long in the front or it's, it's nice enough to where you can kind of just use the fur to conceal it. So you can hide the zip. And that also counts for like uh, SPHs, especially if you get the zip on the inside to where the clasp for the zipper is internal rather than external. Um, by kind of cross-combing or cross-fading the fur, yeah. that zip line it, gets hidden. Exactly. That's how I do it with, with my suit. So I'd be like, wow, yeah. Vero, your suit has a mod? It's like, yeah, you would never know because it's the, the first cross code in the zip is internal and it's almost always zipped closed. So you would never know. Right. Right. So the, you know, with your suit, I know because I've helped you get in and out of it. I didn't even know that it had, it was modified until I actually looked at it really, cl really closely. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's mostly because I was helping you get into your feet and I just looked like I'm at crotch level. I'm like, Oh, hello there, little friend. I'm sure that's a fun, little bit of fun, little fanfic seed for somebody right now, too, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, so one thing is, like, um, in making your suit, too, consider material selection carefully. Like, one thing, a lot of a lot of Mercedes swear by Folex, which is actually a, a carpet cleaning solution. And Folex, you can actually ask anybody for it a con if they're a fursuiter or a mersuiter. And you, you know, you don't the club soda that's like not quite doing the trick and needs a little bit more heavy duty. Folex is like industrial club soda. It's basically carpet cleaner. Uh, that will work too really well. It's like instant stand mover for carpets. But you have to make sure that your fursuit material 
is a synthetic fiber that is similar enough to carpet that you're not actually going to damage the suit by using Folex with it. So it might be a good idea to say, hey, like, are you using fur that I can, I can Folex? Like, is this something I can use, like, cleaner cleanser with? Like, what, what cleaners or cleansers is this fiber or this material compatible with? And that's something that you can work out with your, your fursuit maker to make sure that the cleaners you're planning to use and the way you're planning to take care of your fursuit is actually going to be compatible with the way that your fursuit is actually being made and constructed so that those materials are compatible. So ask that, like, people think about, like, compatibility when they're designing a computer or building parts, but think about compatibility when you're designing your fursuit, too. Like, how am I going to clean it? What am I going to do with it? What, what, what is my care practice going to be? And are these materials compatible with that? Keep that stuff in mind. Now, if you do have a suit that's compatible with Folex, Keep a bottle of Folex around. That's also a great option for keeping your fursuit clean at a con, right? One thing, you know, now that I'm kind of thinking about it, we've spoken a lot about cleaning, a lot about keeping things nice and fresh. When you, you have to also kind of think about this. Every time that you wash your suit, every time that you apply chemical to it, you are increasing the amount of wear and tear on it. And so it's important to kind of keep in mind the fact that your suit is kind of like a car and it does have a mileage to it. And the more that washing, the more action you give into it, the more that the seams are going to become a little bit looser, the fur might start falling out. So it's important to keep all of this in mind as well. This is why communication with the fursuit maker is super duper important. Don't just kind of go off and do your own thing because your fursuit maker, they're going to have a better understanding of how to wash, how to clean, what chemicals can be used because you want your suit to last as long as possible. You've spent you know, thousands of dollars on it at this point. You want to ensure that every time you wash it, you're not irreparably damaging it. You want to make sure that you can wash it time and time and time again. And years down the line, you realize, oh, hey, maybe I should start looking into getting a new suit. So just kind of understand, you know, your your first suit itself, you've spent thousands of dollars on it. You want to make sure that you take the best care as possible, because every time you wash it, you're cleaning it, but you're also damaging the overall integrity percentage by percentage by percentage. So that's why it's so important to inquire with your maker about all these questions. And I guarantee you, they're not going to really care like, Hey, this might some, what happens if bodily fluid gets on it? You don't need to be like, Hey, what happens if I shit on it? Like you don't have to be completely rude about it. Ask these questions in advance because with the makers, you know, most makers are going to go for a washable suit. They're going to go with thread that is uh, for, for the seams that is able to be used to make strong, durable seams. And they want to take pride in that work and they want you to take pride in their work. So ask these questions. Even if you don't understand much about sewing or, you know, fursuit construction, these are things that you can inquire and research on. What kind of uh, stitch are they using for the seams? How durable is it going to be? How can you wash it? How many? How long do they expect for it to last? What happens if you see fur start to fall out? All of these are good questions to ha- to ask because you want to make sure that your suiting experience is as pleasurable as possible. Again, it's kind of like o- owning a car. 
Sometimes maintenance is required, and it's always good to have a manufacturer's manual. With fursuits, they don't always come with a manual, so you want to ask for one in advance. Yeah, and again, um, make sure you're, you're asking for strong yeah. seams. Make sure you're asking for cross-stitching for things that are durable. Again, remind mm-hmm. your maker that if you're planning to be doing using heavily for suiting, you're doing a lot of activity in it, that you need it. It'll require more frequent cleaning, and you also want those seams reinforced. You're not getting rips and tears if you're being really active in your suit. So all that stuff is really important. Now, speaking of being really active in your suit, that leads us to the fun part of the show, which is talking about actual sexual behavior in your suit, a.k.a. suit sex tips. So yeah, the first tip is probably one that some people might not think about, but frankly, for most sexual acts, partialing is going to be the way to go. And like, you might think it's going to be really hot to fuck in full suit, but it is really hot and not in the way you intended it to be. It is incredibly hot. (laughs) Yeah. So like, I mean, you can do it. I've done it, but it's really hot and it's not actually all that much fun for long periods of time, especially like maybe this is TMI, but like I tend to go a while. So like doing that in a suit can get to be really like unbearable. (laughs) Um, So just, you know, just keep that in mind. Like you have to be able to sustain in that basic wearing a carpet um so like that requires a certain endurance level and a certain like i'm not you know i'm dying here like breathing really hard like how how much like panting and huffing you really want to be doing during this activity if you're if you're down for like it being completely knockout exhausting and you have to like lay down and recover afterwards then sure go for it but like it is going to take a lot out of you to, to to if you're doing sex in a full suit for a long period of time so keep that in mind and you know one thing that I do want to say is like partialing, it's far more comfortable. And some people, they like to knock partialing a little bit. They're like, oh, it's not real suiting. Yeah, right. fuck you. It, any, any kind of fursuit is a fursuit. If it's just a head, if it's a head and a tail, if it's a head and a tail and some feet and some paws, who cares? Don't, if you're, if you want to engage in fursuiting and your partner's like, yeah, but I only want to wear the head, like, don't don't like shame them. Don't try to goad them into it. Don't say, "Well, you really should." You're not a listen. At the end of the day, if you're worried about ruining the magic of sex, critiquing and like goading somebody into doing something that they don't want to do, you've you've done ruined the magic before it's even started. It's supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be fun, right? So let it be fun for everybody. Yeah, so again, I recommend partialing, like in general. Um, because it's far more comfortable. It's far more, you have more range of motion. You're not overheating all the time. You can suit a little bit longer. And even at like dances, um, it's a little bit more fun to, to partial. And you can get like fun little costumes. I know some people get like Kigurumis as like their fursuit and then they'll just pop on the head and congratulations, you look adorable. So you know, go with what you're comfortable with. Don't feel obligated or don't feel like there's some like weird social mersuiting contract that you have to like wear full suit every time because I guarantee you nobody does that all the time. I see more partialing when it comes to um, sexual activity than full suits. And that's that's just my personal experience from all of the media that I consume. So I mean, there it is. So don't worry about ruining the magic. You should worry more about ruining the moment. Don't ruin the moment. Have fun. Speaking of having fun, you know, don't be afraid to make animal noises, to pant, to bark, to claw. 
you know, like many people who enjoy mercy and what they're into, and kind of, kind of, we addressed on the Savage Love Cast uh, response as well, is a lot of what furries are into sexually is actually like the feral aspects of anthropomorphic traits. So, you know, if you enjoy mercy sex, you might actually be into the animalistic qualities of the sex. And so, if you, you know, contributing to that even further by making noise, uh, take, making behaviors, behaving in a more animalistic way while you're being sexual might really turn your partner on, especially if they're really into the mercy uh, fetish. And you might ask like, hey, what is it about mercy that turn you on? For some people, it's the sight. For some it's the smell. For some people, it is the, uh, getting kind of closer to being a bit more feral. So, you know, think about what is it that is turning you on here and try to play up those aspects for your partner because you want them to be having a good time too, right? Uh, and another really important tip is, Always ask me before, to, before finishing on someone's suit. Uh, somebody, some suitors really are totally down for like that hard fursuit facial, but some fursuiters try desperately hard to keep every fluid imaginable away from their fursuit. And even if they're using it for sexual purposes, they do not want come anywhere near their fursuit, like nowhere near it, right? So like ask first ask first, <laughs> like, don't just come on, don't just finish on somebody's suit. Like, oh, whoops, there it goes. And like their suit is completely coated. Maybe they have to like get to the, the first parade later that morning. And they're like, well, guess I'm not going to the parade. So, yeah. you know, be, be, be mindful of that. Like cleaning a suit is hard. And if somebody has plans after what you're about, you know, the little scene you're doing, you might have just ruined their plans. So just, you know, be careful about stuff like that. Don't just make a mess and assume it's okay to make a mess. Always ask, like, hey, you know, is this your only suit? Like, am I allowed to make a mess here? Like, what is, like, what is, what is, what is your preference, right? Yeah, it's, I, I know a lot of people don't like to compare, like, fursuiting and mersuiting to, like, a fetish, but I do like to negotiate um, sex scenes that involve any kind of costuming, any kind of equipment as a fetish BDSM style pre negotiated understanding. It's always important to ask these questions before it starts getting hot and heavy, because in the moment, you might forget to ask. So it's important to ask, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? What about this? What about that? And take yes and take no as the answer. If they say no, that's not, again, an invitation for you to negotiate. Well, how about just a little bit? How about just on this side? How about it's not it's not open to negotiation. No means no regardless of the circumstance. And if you say yes to their no and do it anyway, you are an incredibly shitty person. And I know that that sounds incredibly judgmental, but it's meant to. Somebody says, don't do something and you do it anyway. You are a shitty person breaking every contract imaginable, like social contract when it comes to sexual obligation. And you should rethink your decisions very quickly. So ask these questions in advance. Um, I know I have a friend who has a suit specifically for people to finish on, and they clean it regularly, but it's not meant to go out in public because sometimes they can't clean it in time at the convention. So they have a private suit and then they have a public suit. It's always good to ask those questions because if coming on a fursuit is something that you're really into, Sometimes people have accommodations just for that, for you to have fun, and they enjoy it too. So, ask these questions. Feel free to get into it, like Vero said. Make the noises, have the fun, make it an enjoyable experience. Don't don't get so worried about everything. Just have fun. But um, one thing, if you do create a stain, accidental or otherwise, 
make sure that you alert the suitor as soon as you can. Some cases, the scene will be over. In some cases, you might want to alert them at that moment. Let's say that it's a mess of the Santorum variety. That's something that you generally want to address as soon as possible. Yeah, and that might be something to ask and negotiate with a suitor in advance. Like, hey, if I do make any kind of mess, would you rather we stop what we're doing right away to, to address it, or do you want us to finish yeah, first, exactly. right? Some some people, some some suitors will be like, oh, I actually want to make sure we both finish first because I don't want to have my you know my orgasm interrupted, even if my suit's messy. Some guys will be like, no, actually, I prioritize my suit being clean over even coming, so <laughs> I need you to tell me right away. So. That's a good question to ask in advance, actually, yeah. right? Again, these are sorts of things, and I know it sounds like really technical, but like, congratulations. Like, negotiating and getting like consensual, enthusiastic consent before anything happens is kind of technical, and it can be kind of unsexy. That's why you do it in advance, because you can get unsexy before you get really sexy. I'll also give you guys a little bit of a tip. Um, so, Mercedes are. I mean, we tend to talk to each other like yeah. a lot and it's kind of, it's a somewhat clicky close knit group, which is kind of weird. And I know a lot of people don't like that. And I, I don't, I don't, I did not choose that culture. It in fact turns me off a lot. Um, and I've had to deal with that a little bit and it's kind of weird being kind of co-opted into it just by having a suit. But um, one thing I will say is that suiters do talk about bad dates. And what I mean by that is people who are really disrespectful to their suits tend not to be invited to play with a lot of other merch suitors either because if you fuck up one suitor's suit and they can't do something in their suits they had plans to do they are going to squawk to all of their other merch suitor friends and you're going to get a bad rep for being somebody who does not respect other people's suits you do not want that reputation because it means that if you are someone who has a strong merch suit fetish and all the merch suitors now will not play with you because you have a reputation as a bad date guess what you're fucked <laughs> Well, not, so, not yeah, actually it, fucked. Not entirely. Not exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, my point is, <laughs> it's going to negatively impact your ability to get laid, and nobody wants that. Yeah. So just be respectful to begin with, and it's not a problem. Yeah. You know, that's just good policy in general. Hey, be respectful of your sexual partners. If you make a mistake, you made a mistake. And guess what? Accidents happen. Uh, that, that's one of the things that we talk about all the time. Accidents fucking happen, especially when you're fucking. But own your shit, literally and figuratively. Yeah. And if you make a mess, own it and take care of it. Don't, Don't just, like try to hide it. Oh my it. god. So, story time. And I'm so sorry to do this <laughs> all the way at the end of the goddamn show. But for those of you who have made it here, congratulations. You get like a raunchy story that does not... Well, it, it tangentially involves me. So... One of my friends has a MERS suit, and their suit um, is mostly white, and it has some coloration stripes. And I'm not going to be too specific about who it is, because, um, you know, they didn't tell me that I could share the story with their name attached to it. So they were engaged in sex, and uh, they were MERS suiting, and they were in a different room. And I get a frantic series of text messages saying, come to my room, come to my room. Oh my god, please come to my room now. And I... <laughs> I came to their room and they were very loosely tied down in their bed, um, face down, ass up. And their mercy partner had fled the room. And I looked and um, there was a lot of Santorum action that was happening. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, the guy got so embarrassed. Um, he ran out of the room and left me here. <laughs> And I'm like, holy fuck. And he's like, I don't know. Like, first off, I'm like, let me get you untied. Like, first off. And then second off, 
Like, do you have cleaner solution? He's like, no. So like I had to run to the store to like grab some club soda and a few other things. Um, I knew the maker of the suit. I'm like, okay, so I'm pretty sure I can tolerate this. These are all light sort of things. And like the guy, the, the, the guy who ran out refused to pay for any of it. And I understand it's not his fault necessarily, but like be a bro. So if an accident happens, yeah, that's not, that's kind of poor yeah, form. If an accident happens and like it requires some cleaning, like offer to chip in a little bit, like maybe be like, I'll go buy the club soda. I'll go buy the Febreze. I'll go buy the thing. Because at the end of, and don't fucking run out of the room like that. That was a very dangerous. Like if there had been like something a little bit more advanced or a little bit more edge play, that could have been really dangerous for my friend. Um, also the fact that they were in full suit tied down in a room overheating covered in Santorum was also not very pleasant for them. And I mean, it was humiliating for them. Um, luckily, like I'm pretty okay. And like, I'm like not super judgmental and I'm, I've seen almost everything you can at this point. And I'm just like, let's get you out of the suit. Let's get, get you some water. Like, go to the bathroom. I'll take care of like stuff, like put your suit in the bathtub, fill it up with some cold water. We'll start getting some shit cleaned off and we'll, we'll figure it out. But, uh, don't be a dick about it. If accidents happen, own up to it. Don't run out of the room in shame. The individual that was involved in this, that ran out of the room. Um, yeah, I don't foresee them having much sex with suitors in the future. Um, for the, far foreseeable future so you know don't be a dick about these things when accidents happen accidents happen find a way to fix it find a way to correct the accident sometimes it pulls you out of the scene and it stops being sexy but guess what that's life and you don't have to think that you're a bad lady you don't have to think that you're a terrible person you're a terrible person when you try to cover up your mistake by refusing to acknowledge it so if a little bit of fluid gets onto the suit you say hey you know, some, there's some stuff on your back, you know, do you want me to help you clean it? My friend was like, if he had told me and then untied me, I would have taken care of the rest. Like, it's the fact that he ran out of the room that I'm actually fucking furious about the most. I'm like, yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> that is kind of ridiculous, it, to be honest. It was a very weird con, and this happened years ago, and that suit has since been retired. Um Probably for the best. Probably for the, I mean, like, the thing is, is that, like, after we cleaned it and it dried, like, it, it, you couldn't tell, but, like, it, it was also a fairly older suit at that point. So it was kind of time. It's only for private use at this point, and he's much happier with that. So that's become his mer suit only sec, uh, suit, and then he has a public suit that he goes out in. And I, you know, hey, more power to you. So don't run out. Don't be a dick. Own up to your mistakes. Apologize. Offer to help. Because at the end of the day, sex should be enjoyable to everybody involved. And if there are damages, everybody should kind of be responsible to try to help repair them. So that's true of any kind of sex, though, especially when it involves um, costuming or equipment or toys. You know, be gentle, be nice, and you'll get ass back. Otherwise, enjoy masturbating to videos that you find on XTube. Um <laughs> Pretty much, so, I mean, pretty much that. Merciding's fun. Merciding should be fun. Sex is fun. Merciding shouldn't be judged. Merciding, obviously, you shouldn't be having sex in public, and you shouldn't be engaging people in sex play in public, especially against their will. 
um, which most of the time it is, or against even their knowledge. So be responsible with it. Be smart with it. You don't have to announce like to the world. You don't need to set your Twitter profile to be like, Hi, my name is Metrico, and I'm a Mersuiter. You don't have to be open and blase about it, but you don't have to hide it either. A lot of people engage in it. It's not some rare mythical unicorn. Not everybody does. There are different strokes for different folks, and at the end of the day, everybody should live and let live, provided that everybody's suit, Mersuiter or not, is clean and presentable, and you could easily walk in a fursuit parade without some child going, Mommy, Mommy, what's that yellow stain at the front of their pants? And that's really it. Pretty much that, yeah, in a nutshell. So, <laughs> clean after yourselves, you musky huskies. That. <laughs> We're going to move on to our questions now, though. We have two questions this week. And as always, thank you for writing in and asking us for advice. Um, the first question... Um, it's a little bit more of a specific one, and the questioner um, wrote in with the subject about being diagnosed with mental health issues and curious about how to make a relationship work, and we've edited for content on this question just for full transparency. Uh, but the correct- There's a lot of personal information that wasn't necessary to answer the question, yeah. so we just cut it out. So the questioner asks, um, in essence, um, how can mental health generally um, and and this situation, their particular situation, uh, how can someone with mental health issues be capable of starting a relationship or at least maintaining one without problems occurring? Um, I understand that there are a lot of furries out there that suffer with mental health issues um, and they're able to maintain a status quo. How do they go about doing it? Um, So to answer kind of this question in a lot of generality, because... um, you kind of have to be general because no mental illness is the same. And even if two people have the same mental illness, it will impact them in different ways. It's important to understand who you are as an individual. And a lot of mental illnesses will require professional health, uh, professional help, either medications, counseling, long-term counseling, some form of uh, mitigation to stave off the more drastic impacts of the illness itself. So it's important to fully understand that you're not going to be able to do it alone. Um, You're going to need professional health, especially with um, more significant mental health issues, ones that cause breaks in reality, ones that cause um, you to um, things like uh, post-traumatic stress disorder that cause uh, breaks in your own personality that cause flashbacks that cause moments of severe anxiety. It's important to understand the full ramifications and it's important that you don't keep this hidden from your partner or your partners. Um, I will say that it is incredibly possible to make a relationship work. If you have mental health issues, I see it all the time. I have a mental health issue myself and I make relationships work just the same. Yeah, and my partners are not neurotypical, and it doesn't mean that I can't make a relationship work with them. It just means that I have to be aware of their issues and consider it. Yeah. And, you know, then it make, you work around those things. You don't necessarily rule people out because of them. The rule that I have, and I think this is borrowed from Dan Savage as well, and I get to do that again because I'm a heck, I was a guest on a show, and I think mm-hmm. that, that means I get to borrow his, his phrase. But, you know, you need to be in good working order in order to be in a relationship. And I think Dan's totally right about that. You do need yeah. to be in good working order to be in a relationship. You, you shouldn't expect somebody to fix you. But that said, it is totally acceptable to have anxiety, to have depression, to have 
some at, you know aspects of a personality disorder that you know you, you disclose to your partner and say hey mm-hmm. just to let you know like I have this thing and that you have to you know be aware that I might do X and Y and you know if I do just you know support me and, and love me in this way and this way and we'll get through it together like there's a way to disclose what you have and not, not roll it out like it's cancer where you're inviting your partner to love and support you rather than basically asking them to um, to like you know, essentially the flee from you, right? Like you don't want, you know, Hey, I've got this thing and you can't be around me. Like you're not, you're not a werewolf. And I yeah. mean, then again, maybe you don't want to be around a werewolf anyway, because we're furries and come on, it's hot. But like, you know what I'm saying? You don't, some people are like, Oh, you have to stay away from me. Cause I'm going to harm you. Right. But like, a thing is like, nobody's perfect. Nobody's 100% normal. Abnormal is normal. Right. So don't think just because you're not quote unquote, whatever somebody's definition of normal is, you can't be in a relationship. But that said, you do need to be in good working order, which means capable of empathizing with your partner, capable of supporting them to the extent that they support you and basically capable of being a good functioning partner for someone. Those are the requirements to be in a relationship. It's not that you'd be perfect, but it's that you'd be able to support them in similar ways to the ways that you expect them to be able to support you, right? I mean, if we're going to speak about this in like an analogy, it's, you know, if a relationship is a car, it has to be able to start in order to go anywhere. And every car inevitably will suffer from breakdowns. But just because a car breaks down doesn't mean that it's ruined. You have to be able to start the relationship yourself. You have to be able to at least get the relationship going in some form of a direction. What's important is really all the qualities that Vera mentioned, the ability to empathize, the ability to be present in conversation, the ability to have some form of progression. Relationships can't remain stagnant. Everybody has baggage. Everybody has problems, regardless of the severity. No relationship is perfect, even if it is uh, two or more neurotypical individuals dating. If a requirement of a successful relationship was neurotypicality, then there would be far less divorce. That's just kind of the nature of the business. So it's important to not undersell yourself in saying that, well, just because I suffer from depression or general anxiety, or maybe, you know, something that would be considered a little bit more severe, things like schizophrenia, things like uh, disassociative personality disorder, things of that nature, where you have more severe breaks in terms of your grasp on reality. People suffer from all sorts of mental uh, disorders and people live with those mental disorders and people treat those mental disorders and people love people that have those mental disorders. And the thing is, is that I, 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 it doesn't matter really. Love is love. And if somebody loves you, they'll love you even with all of that baggage attached, but it's important to inform them of what can happen. It's important to not sugarcoat it. And it's important that once, if you happen to have an episode, we'll say it's important to reconcile and it's important to get back to a neutral sort of state where things are not, you know, falling apart as much as possible. But again, I want to stress that a lot of these uh, sort of mental uh, health issues will require the aid of a professional. And it's important that if you want to engage in healthy relationships, it's just best practice to seek the help of a professional, one that has far more training, far more experience, and far more licenses than I do in this area, um, with my whopping zero. So 
seek the help of a professional. They'll have better advice on how to mitigate and they'll be able to bring in your partner in a lot of these cases to sort of walk them through what they can expect. And for some people, they're going to want to bow out. For some people, they don't want to have to deal with somebody that's neurotypical, you know, neuroatypical. And that's fine. They're probably not meant for you, but you don't have to sell yourself short or, you know, basically banish yourself to a life of, you know, incel or dying alone. There's somebody out there that is going to love you for who you are, even if you do bring a little bit of extra baggage. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one of the things I recommend is if you do have a diagnosed mental health disorder that someone's, you know, said that you have, go online and find support groups and forums of people who suffer from the same disorder and talk about, hey, how do you, how do you guys manage to have relationships, right? Talking yeah. to people who actually are in a similar neurotypical boat as you. Uh, and it's actually a really great way to address some of these issues, too, because getting advice from somebody who doesn't have the same issue as you is not going to be as relevant as getting advice from somebody who suffers from the same problem. So, you know, if you have BPD or you have, uh, you know, some other, you know, personality disorder, you're manic depressive, you are have anxiety, you have depression, find support groups for those types of people. And then you ask them, hey, how do you guys manage your romantic relationships? How do you make it work? And that can be a great uh, resource as well. And you don't have to present it to anybody as if you're suffering from this horrible disorder, this horrible disease. I mean, I don't suffer from alexithymia. I just live with it. Like we're best friends. Like we go on dates together and I know that not everybody will have the same outlook that I do, but at the end of the day, there is a certain level of comfort and acceptance that you have to have of yourself. Because one thing that I find is that when you stigmatize the the mental health issue, you stigmatize yourself. And you tend to self-sabotage relationships because you get overly anxious over like what happens if something bad happens and then you make something bad happen. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So... Just be acceptant of yourself and be patient with yourself and allow your partner to be patient with you and accept their yeses as yes, especially if you ask them, hey, do you still love me? They say yes. Good news. They still love you. Don't allow the calls coming from inside the house to sabotage the relationship because, quite frankly, a lot of the time those calls are just bullshit. So, And that's just from my own personal experience because you know, it took a long time for me to accept myself as I am. Um, so just, just be mindful of that. Um, and yeah, support groups can definitely help because uh, a big focus of a lot of support groups is kind of accepting yourself as you are. And yeah, there's some shitty parts perhaps, but you can work on those. And the parts that you can't work on, well, that's fine. That's just how you are. And if people can't accept you as you are, then they don't deserve you. And by putting it in that context, not of them accepting you, but them deserving you, it helps your self-confidence and it helps your integrity a lot, lot, a lot. So we're going to move on to our second question, though, which is a little bit more specific. And we can get into that one a little bit more in depth. Um, they write with the subject, my mate doesn't seem to want to move forward. Uh, 
Their message, I've been with my mate for over two years now. She is a genetic female from a homophobic Catholic Latino family, but she is not homophobic. I am one year on hormones for a male-to-female transition. Due to her family, I have to continue to present as a male. Her mother forbids her from visiting me at my place, spending nights or weekends together, and taking weekend trips together. I even planned a vacation so she could meet my parents, and her family stopped her from going. I mentioned a lot about her moving in with me so she could get away from the psychologically abusive household. When I ask her why she continues to put up with their treatment of her, she responds, I don't know anymore. But after over two years together, she so she shows no sign of wanting to move forward, no sign of wanting to move in together, and no sign of wanting me to uh, of no sign of wanting to change what she is unhappy about. She even refuses to go to therapy for help. I am at my wit's end and I don't know what to do. I love her and want to marry her, but I am at a loss. Please help. So family, like and this is this comes down to our typical family meddling issue, which we talk about on the show in the past. And we've had advice columns and podcasts devoted to talk about family issues in the past. Um, frankly, at some point, if you guys are going to be together, they need to commit to you and not commit to being basically in their family's situation. I mean, it sounds like your partner is not kind of too enmeshed in their family situation to really choose to be with you. And at some point, they have to shit or get off the pot, not to put it too bluntly, but they have to choose whether they want to be enmeshed in their family's BS or whether they want to be happily in a relationship with you. And they might not get to have both indefinitely, right? And eventually, you might have to put your foot down and say, it's, okay, you either need to commit to me and get married to me and choose to have a life with me or you and choose to be, you know, really embrace who you are and be your true authentic self or you need to, I need to move on from you and find somebody who's willing to, to commit to me. And one thing I would strongly recommend that might really help them a lot is uh, our episodes on shame, actually, because I think that those, you know, we talk about that and also the books, The Velvet Rage, talks a lot about the idea of foreclosing. And I'm worried about your partner foreclosing on themselves. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to our episodes on shame, go and read The Velvet Rage. And that I think will give you a lot of tools to help your partner and to kind of make, identify some of the issues they might be struggling with emotionally that might be keeping them trapped in that family situation. Because the emotional blackmail and the fear, the obligation, the guilt that families impose on, on, their, on people can be really you know, hard to overcome. And you might want some cognitive tools and some kind of empathetic tools that you can use to help your partner kind of get through that. And that's something that the Velvet Rage might help you develop. So if you haven't read that, I strongly recommend reading that book. So I agree with everything that Firo said. It's um, there's only so much that you can do. And it sounds like you're kind of like the giving tree in this. Your partner needs for you to present as male. So you present as male and then your partner needs for you to only attend functions that she is chaperoned at. So you do that. And your partner needs you to wait a little bit. At a certain point, you give so much that there's nothing left of you as an integral whole. It sounds like you've made so many sacrifices for her well-being. I do know that there are some perhaps family-based traditions, um, especially families that are raised in religious conservative views that hold family to be above anything else. And, it's possible that that is kind of coming into play with her perspective on how to move forward. I will say that at a certain point, she will either need to choose between you or her family. 
and it sounds like she's making that decision without even knowing it yet. I would recommend having that conversation with her. You may dearly love her. You may want to marry her. But it sounds like the cost of admission for that is currently far too great, and it sounds like the reason it is is because she's artificially inflating it. She needs to make the decision. Is it you or her family? So both of you can find the best way to move on in life. Just because you love somebody, just because you want to marry somebody, doesn't mean that you get to be with them. And it doesn't mean that you're actually compatible. And it's an important distinction to make here, because from everything that you've written in about, it sounds like there's a fundamental lack of compatibility. Everything that you want, she's stalling, she's saying no to, and it may have to do with the way that she was brought up. It may have to do with the fact that her family is homophobic, her family is transphobic. Could be maybe she's relying on her family for income. Could be maybe she's living with them and is afraid to move out. It could be she's just anxious about the future and her family is all that she's known. And that transitive property of moving in with you would then mark the end of her having familial support or even connections, and she's afraid to lose that. So it's important to come from a place of understanding. Why is she not wanting to move forward? If she can't identify it, quite frankly, it's not your job to kind of scooby-doo the mystery of why she's afraid to move forward. That's something that she has to come to her own realization about. And you can be there to support her, which you have for the past two years. It's important to put that into context of time. You have concealed your true authentic self for her for over two years around her family. And it is, as Vero said, it is time for her to shit or get off the pot. Again, if there are other reasons that are forestalling her from being able to kind of move in with you or to be a little bit more open about the relationship that she has with you or to even allow for you to present as your true authentic self, then that's a consideration that you would have to take into effect. But that is a consideration that she should know. It shouldn't be this great unknown unknown. She should have a clear understanding of why things are the way that they are. I would recommend having effectively a state of the union discussion. What is the current state of the union that you have with her? Why are you unhappy? Why is she not moving forward? What needs to happen to get you both in a position that both of you will be happy? And why can't you make those steps? And if she is unwilling to move forward, at a certain point you have to leave her behind. And it's an unfortunate truth. It's an unfortunate part of relationships and reality. You can't have a relationship together when you're both standing still. That's a dream, and dreams are not tangible. Some dreams happen, though, but in this case, it sounds like it's not going to. I'm not going to recommend you just as soon as you hear this, you dump her, but I am going to recommend that you have some serious conversations and you hold her to your emotional boundaries. Because as I've warned about on this show multiple times, there's only so much of your integrity that you can sacrifice before you stop being who you are as a person and effectively you just become a shadow of your former self. You have to hold your integrity and you have to hold it firm. 
and it sounds like you've done as much as you can. If she refuses to move, you gotta move on without her. I hope it works out, though. I hope that having a serious conversation with her allows for her to understand your perspective and make those moves. But sometimes you can't argue with an entire family structure. Sometimes you can't win against that. And for your sake, for the sake of your heart, for the sake of your own emotional well-being, you can't stay in stasis. We're going to go ahead and close out the show with that. Thank you again for your questions. If you, the listeners, think that we missed something, missed the point, think we got something wrong, have questions of your own, please feel free to contact us on our contact page at our website, feralattraction.com. Next week, it's going to continue our Summer Lovin' uh, series, which I've just made into the series. I'm I mean, sorry no, for not I, telling I, you. I don't want to pick the topics. I actually kind of did that and didn't tell you, so it's totally fine. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I started it with Greece, so and, uh, sorry well, about it. Well, we started a lot of things. With um, Greece, gonna... so be careful to use Greece with uh, condoms and make sure that you don't use oil-based lubricants with condoms because, you know, sorry, bad joke. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, and don't use Ooh, motor don't oil. Don't use motor oil. But, um, maybe Albaline in a pinch, but that, no motor oil. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Ooh. Next week, we're going to slide into our topic, first times. We're going to have fun talking about our first times, as well as how to make first times a little bit more fun, what to expect, what not to expect. We're going to break the illusion that porn is reality. Sorry, it is not reality. Porn stars are just actors. (laughs) And it's going to be kind of a fun, light show. A little bit personal, a little bit fun, a little bit rock and roll. It's going to be like Grease, the musical. If you have questions about that, if you have questions about what to expect if you're a virgin, if you want to share your own stories, which I would love, if you want to share the stories of the triumphs and disasters of your first times, contact us. Contact pages again at feralattraction.com forward slash contact. There you'll find all sorts of ways to get into touch with us, ways to support the show, whether it's leaving a rating and review on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store, or by contributing to our Patreon. Patreon is a great way to help us keep the lights on, to keep the materials coming, and to go to more and more conventions. Um, One of our tiers does allow for you, the listener, to get a shout-out at the end of every show and inclusion into our show notes. Uh, One such patron of ours is uh, Miss Hyde, and Miss Hyde is participating in a streak for tigers around the London Zoo on the 10th of August, so that's pretty cool. It's about a month away, everybody. And if you'd like to know how to support Hyde running around the zoo naked and fundraising to to protect tigers in the wild, then you can find details. Go to their Twitter, at HannahCondaSparks. There's also a link to their fundraising page at JustGiving.com. Please go to our show notes and please consider contributing to her running for a streak for tigers. Listen, I'm just going to say any opportunity to run around a London zoo naked is a good opportunity. So contribute, contribute, contribute. You got a month. I know, right? That's totally great. I love that. (laughs) I I, I wish that we could do that here. Um, I would totally like streak in Central Park. But if I do that, I would most likely get arrested. Alas... 
Another plug is for Snares, longtime friend of the show. Um, they have a comic project called Kai Juice. The flavor is buff. It is an episodic comic that gets released each month, and it is free to read, but patrons do get early access and rewards. Uh, it's a webcomic about kaijus, macrofers, and size growth, and realizing that true strength comes from within, and also maybe transformation juice. You can find more information at their Patreon site. Snares' Patreon site is at patreon.com forward slash snares. That is their one-stop site for commission and artist info. If you're a fan of, you know, more of literature, then Zarpolis is maybe your stop. Um, he writes furry and high-tech sci-fi stories. Uh, you can find a book that he recently published, a short novel with the Thurston Hall Press that's titled The Pride of Parahumans uh, on Amazon. Or you can go to his Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zarpolis, for more information on their Para-Imperium universe franchise. Or maybe you're just looking for a new friend on Twitter. Well, Myron is a person on Twitter, is a new friend that you can have. At Myron the Fluffy is their handle. And you should follow them for pictures and daily random daily red panda dog rambles. Again, their Twitter handle is at Myron the Fluffy. We're going to end our show there for the week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for your support and thank you for your questions. Look forward to next week. Again, topic is first times. Until then, I'm Metrico. And I'm Fear of the Science Collie. Be well. Thank you.